on today's episode of The Mythic Masculine. So much of, I think, the wisdom of the template of their relationship is this sovereignty. They were their own people. They were both powerful, powerful teachers and mystics. And when they came together, they were greater than the sum of their parts. The Gnostics believe that together they created Christ consciousness, that Jesus likely was not able to achieve that on his own. He's just one spectrum of that polarity. And so it's through the union of of those two, of the masculine and feminine, the in-breath, the out-breath, the the ebb and flow that they can together create electricity. Like if you want to think from physics, mm. that together they create that electricity that, that awakens the human spirit, that aw- awakened their Christ consciousness and enabled them to then ripple that out into the world. What does it mean to be a man today? The toxic patterns of masculinity are being challenged, and new pathways are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric uncertainty, how might we look to the old mythologies for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculinities. Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. My guest today is Autumn Sky, a visionary artist whose work holds a significant presence within transformational culture around the world. I first had the pleasure of meeting Sky on a festival tour in Australia back in 2016, and since then, we've kept loosely in touch from afar. Last year, when she released her two pieces, first Mary Magdalene and then Yeshua, better known as Jesus, I knew I had to reach out for an interview. Luckily, we live only a ferry ride across the water from each other, and so I was able to visit her in-studio. In our conversation today, released on Easter Monday, we cover how she wrestled her own relationship to the church and the teachings of Jesus in her childhood. We speak about the function of visionary art to inspire a path through dark times. And finally, Sky reveals her own mythic saga of painting one of the greatest love stories on earth. I recommend checking out the show notes on this episode for links to the two paintings before listening to this podcast. Also, please consider becoming a patron supporter. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. You'll get access to exclusive perks, including behind-the-scenes updates, bonus interviews, and more. Visit themythicmasculine.com supporter to join. And now, enjoy my conversation with Autumn Skye. Welcome, Autumn Sky, to the show. Thanks so much, Ian. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored. I typically begin my shows by asking the guests to describe where they are in this moment, um, physically, geographically. And this is a particular delight because we actually happen to be sitting together uh, in physical space and in a particular uh, creative location that I'd love for you to describe to the listener. Okay. Well, I look out the windows and I see some mist and bright skies 
through the mist and big trees. We are sitting in my studio, my new art studio that has been under construction for exactly a year. And now I've been painting in for the last month and it is bright and spacious and full of all the treasures that inspire me and all my art supplies that usher my paintings forward. And I'm so grateful for this space and so grateful to have you here and be sitting in it with you and share this space and this time together. It is quite a beautiful space and it's something to look over and see, you know, finished works and works in progress. Um, and I'm curious for you as an artist, I mean, it seems like this kind of space has been, is, is unique. Like you have never had quite your space like this before. And I wonder how has that changed your, your creative process? Like, is it, do you find yourself more able to drop in? Is it actually intimidating because it's so beautiful and you got all your stuff? I'm just curious, how has it, yeah, how has it been for you now to be active now in this space as it is? Mm. Well, it's had me giddy, actually. It's just been such a lifelong dream to have a dedicated creative space um, and such a long process of the building of the space. It was an unfinished boat shed when we moved onto the property. And so the process of turning it from bare walls, open doors, um, minimal windows and concrete floors to the really comfortable, bright, um, finished space that it is was in itself a really creative project and really fun to sort of tailor it to every detail that inspired me and felt conducive to working and also conducive to having students here. Um, it's a little, it's just a very, very brief walk through the woods from my home. And so that feels also really good and feels like a really good balance between working out from home and working in home. I've always had my studio just in my house. It's been very integrated, sometimes literally in my bedroom or in my living room, um, taking over much of my home space, which is great and um, and really conducive to working, but it also sort of blends the line between that work, play, relax, focus kind of mix. And uh, it's really easy to be painting and, you know, you hear the washing machine finish, you know, like, oh, I've got to deal with wet laundry now or, or vice versa. And so um, I like this, my, this small degree of separation and um, I've found it really easy to focus in here and just put in long days and nights and just really dig in and dive deep and it's it's feeling great i consider you a prolific artist um i think i encountered your work i mean it must have been through festival culture i think i you know started attending different festivals burning man and shambhala and places like that and i'm sure i saw your art you know there and i feel i almost can't conceive of that scene without your art actually being present because it feels like it's so often uh, shows up there and i i find that there's a certain craftsmanship i suppose or certain certain top of your craft feel to it like i mean i understand you know in other interviews i've heard you talk about how you know an artist is always growing is always evolving is always trying to you know push edges and i feel like you've really uh arrived at a level of achievement that you know feels uh i mean it's impressive as an artist uh, as well but also shows a depth of like maturity in a craft. Um, and 
I just wonder what do you what do you feel when you hear that in terms of you know your both your prolific nature of your work and also you know the the consistency at which you um, create it seems. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, the festival culture really um, really opened my horizons and uh, really is a big part of what brought me to where I am today. It um, gave me a lot of opportunities and a lot of inspiration and a lot of awesome friends and collectors and co-collaborators. And um, I feel like every painting I do is, is a huge teacher for me and brings me forward in my skill and technique and vision and composition and themes. Um, and it's this like never ending quest of, of like refinement that every piece I do teaches me so much that I then look back at that piece and see that I probably would paint it different if I was to start again. And, and that's okay. And you just, you, I just find that I, I do the best I can with the tools I have. And those levels keep growing, you know, in high school, I was stoked with where I was at. And I also was like grasping for, for betterment. And I'd say I'm still at that point. I'm like grateful to have the time and have had so much support and so much time in my life to be able to dedicate to art and to refining my skill and, and growing as a, as a technical artist, but also sort of broadening my inspiration. Um, and I'm excited to see like, what will I be painting when I'm 60 or 70 or 90 or 105 <laughs> in this beautiful space? <laughs> yeah. May you top Betty, Betty White yeah, recently. Um, you know, I reflect or I look to your paintings as well. And there are similar motifs that feel like show up, um, um, both in usually like a strong subject or some, uh, weaving or, or I guess symbology with nature or, you know, like sort of morph morphic, um, or transmorgifying, you know, effect as well. Some sometimes fractal, you know, imagery, often a very strong, what I see as feminine imagery or, or depictions of women. Um, not always, of course, and this particular interview will arrive at some recent paintings, recent-ish paintings you've done of uh, Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And that was a particular interest to me, of course, for the Mythic Masculine podcast, is to ask you about how the process was to to approach that. Um, and I just wanted to spend a bit more time, too, of, of giving the listener, too, some sense of your work, um, which they've probably, again, encountered in a lot of places. But um, could you speak to some of these reoccurring motifs of like, what is it that you're sort of bringing together or, um, or, or visioning or receiving visions of, you know, that, that is what ends up on the canvas? Well, each piece is quite a mystery when I start it. I might start with um, just this tiniest element of a painting, um, a mood or a pose or a subject matter or a color and then it takes me on a journey. Um, sometimes it's more complete, um, and I, I have a very clear composition, and I go on that on that journey with it. And there might be a couple of surprises along the way, a couple of question marks, um, but it might be more finished in my imagination when I first begin. It's always different, um, but it always comes from a place of just knowing. It's in my belly. It's in my heart. It's like feels like it's alive in my hands and fingertips and 
And so I just have learned over the years to trust that. And even if a piece doesn't necessarily make sense in its theme or overall concept, I just, when it feels alive and electric, I go forward with it. And after I can look back and see why that was maybe relevant to where I was at in that moment or where my community was at, where the collective global community was at. Um, it, it really has many levels that I feel are, are reflected in the, just in the process itself, as well as the composition. And when I can really trust it, that's when it seems like it, it really clicks. It really makes sense. So people might say, oh, if, if, if they say that's an impressively technical painting, I say, Thanks. I put in a lot of time and, you know, I still like to think I could do better, but I've like, I've worked really hard and I'm proud of that piece. If they say that painting moves me and awakens something in my spirit that is surprising and empowering and inspiring to me, then I'd say I was successful in getting out of the way. That that is that dance of, of collaboration with the divine that's moving through. And so I don't, I don't, set out and say, I'm going to paint another lady with some nature. I'm going to like put some birds on it and make her pretty and people are going to love it. I just paint what comes out. And for the past many years, it has been the feminine. It's been um, women either individually standing as a mirror. So it's literally reflected back to the viewer, a front on pose, or it's been a group of women and I think that's been partially because I am my most convenient model. I am also a woman, so it feels like it's a way of getting to know myself and getting to know my place in the world and getting to know my femininity and my power and my curiosity and my growth. It's getting to know my ancestry and um, the different aspects of myself as I grow and evolve and change and, and age. Um, and it's also where we're at in in the evolution of humanity. I think there's been, since the 60s, there's been this big push of the feminine, of the empowerment of women, of the feminine revolution, um, and of the, the balance and the growth and the liberation and the empowerment of, of women. And I think it's been so needed. And so now as I'm finding my work ever shifting, new pieces coming, I'm getting the whispers of the masculine coming into my work as well, because we can't have one without the other. And it's really, it's this beautiful, like soft swinging of the pendulum, I think. There hasn't been like a rigidity of like, I only paint women, now I'm gonna only paint men. It's just like, it just goes back and forth and and then sometimes it meets in the middle and it's both. and. Mm. Yeah, just paint what comes out. Beautiful. It seems like they're almost, uh, or I imagine that they're like avatars or, or archetypes that seem to come to you or visit you. Um, and that you, what you're describing as well is not like a conscious process of like, oh, I'm going to draw this now, but like receiving and just allowing. Um, but they also seem like the pieces tend, they seem like they're really strong personalities or, or souls, you might say. Um, which to me is it's just striking that 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 could come through with such vivid clarity 
mm-hmm. right? But from an intuitive process that feels like, you know, you, you, you're not sort of consciously saying, I'm going to do that. So in that sense, it feels, I mean, I'm curious, is there, does it feel like being visited in some fashion by, I mean, the muses or by these beings that come through? I mean, for example, this woman, you know, dripping in nectar, sort of, uh, I see almost like the, the queen bee uh, goddess is sort of, you know, the piece I'm looking at now. And and it, there's so much, uh, I don't want to say personality per se, but like soul of this depiction. And it's just surprising to me that that could come so clearly, but without a sort of conscious um, effort. And I'm really fascinated about that in the creative process. Um, because in some ways it does feel like beyond a sort of maybe broad sense of like a collaboration with the divine, as you're talking about, which I do think that I like that image a lot, but there also seems to be like a specificity of actually being, you know, I'm, cause I'm fascinated by archetypes and, um, you know, deities and things like that. And yeah, I wonder again, do you feel that sense of presence when you're in that process of, of articulating or expressing on the canvas? Mm. I think sometimes, um, but in a really subtle way, in just like a really sort of unconscious, sparkly, gentle motivation way. Like maybe it's what sort of helps propel me forward and the pieces come clear as I work. I do work uh, with reference material, uh, typically photographs that I take myself, um, usually friends or people I know. Um, and then with that as a starting point, it does take me in different directions and I emphasize the hips or the lips or the eyes and it, it changes and it's all very intuitive. I don't say, Oh, I'm going to make this person look different than the reference. I just use that reference as sort of a consistency of light source. Um, and then I let the anatomy sort of unfold, um, to take on its own character. So I guess there is sort of, um, some sort of personality coming through and i work with these these strong themes and lots of animals as you mentioned and nature themes um to help illustrate that we are a part of nature not apart from it that feels like a very strong theme in my work of this integration and interdependence with nature and with like the nature of ourselves the nature within us as well as the nature around us and how we are often even like if we can think of ourselves as part of that nature like we are literally part of the mountain that the water is cascading down and into the river and into the ocean and then back and raining back on into our hair like if we can think of ourselves that way think of our our feet as extending into roots that are entwined with the trees then we can start to relate to nature differently and that's a big it feels like that's a big part of the mission of my art Mm. and so i think as a vaster archetype, nature maybe comes through in all of her and his many faces. And um, and they just come to life on my canvas and it's a delight to get to know them. They sometimes surprise me and sometimes I meet the people. Like if I, if I stray dramatically from the reference material, I might meet people years later that it looks just like that person and then it has all these synchronicities along with it and maybe multiple people it's so neat and when i post a new painting people are always tagging people and saying oh my gosh it's you and then i like sometimes i'll follow those links and wow it really does look like that person and i can see how it it like echoes their mission and it's yeah it's just a beautiful act of surrender to whatever it is that needs to flow through and it's always rooted in my 
in my solar plexus, in my belly, in my heart, and it just feels good. That's how I know to trust it. I'm glad you brought that up, uh, this mission in your work, because you know, I've been really interested in this idea of the mythopoetic identity that, that we carry um, as one way of looking at it, and not just as an artist, but also you know, as, a, as a way of contributing. And uh, Bill Potkin, who does a lot of work with you know, soul and um, soul, the soul initiation journeys and things, he, he has that phrase, mythopoetic identity. And um, I'm fascinated by distilling that in people, you know, both in myself I mean, I'm here on your beautiful land because I'm also uh, sort of crafting a solo retreat as a time in my 40th year, which is this. And, you know, it's almost complete. So I just snuck it in there uh, before turning 41 uh, to, to really look at, you know, the scope of my work as an artist over the last 15 years, you know, largely through film and writing and podcasting and really trying to distill like, what, what am I doing? Like, what is what is like the the heart or the, you know, the mythopoetic sense of what I do and part of that was asking people, uh, you know, on Instagram recently, just saying like, yeah, what do I, you know, if you've been touched by my work, like, what am I doing? What am I doing for you? And, uh, and so I hear that in what you're saying of you, you sort of blur the line between nature and human and in some sense, personify nature is, is kind of what I hear as well. Um, as a way of, I, what I see is, is almost like bridging the, 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 I don't know, I'd call it maybe the objectification or the commodification of nature, right? This, this sense that, oh, it's just, you know, the story of modernity says, you know, nature is just a backdrop or it's just resources or it's just commodities. And something in the way that you uh, refract or illuminate the beings, you know, quote, in nature or as nature, uh, the more I think there's a sort of confrontation happens actually in the in the viewer, right? The confrontation of, oh, wait, that's just not you know, stuff, or it's just not sort of a, um, non-sentient beings or, or, you know, it's not so separate from, you know, quote us or the modern human. And so, yeah, there's something in that, which I feel is uh, so much a part of what I see in your work and the value of that certainly now, right. seems really apparent as we were sort of yeah, certainly at a crossroads and have been in many ways for some time. But this to me is, is what I heard you say around the role of visionary art that it's in some ways it's it's always I don't know what to say optimistic maybe in some ways or it's at least you said it something like always believes in the possibility of humans or or the, the that they can choose you know the the lighter path or the path of of beauty and, and abundance and connection and mm-hmm. um, again I'm hearing me say all this about your pieces as well yeah well I wonder what it comes to well I I always want to inspire forward and i think that that's that's really the common thread in visionary art and that's sort of maybe the main theme in my art is this like this forward pointing hope or faith um so even when i'm painting a piece that maybe deals with more challenging subject matter maybe it deals with grief or the the decay of nature um the wounding the pain there's always, I always want to imbue it with hope or at least have some little seedling growing in the barren desert that's watered by her tears, you know, something like that. Some glimmer of, like you say, optimism, but it's more than that. It's, it's a, it's faith. It's 
I trust that we are on a journey and it is scary and the storm is raging and the fever is breaking and you know we're we're moving forward and we're losing so much and we're gaining so much and I really believe in that journey that we are we will reach the top of the mountain and it will be glorious and it will be worth it and not necessarily worth it if you weigh the checks and balances and the you know all the numbers and stats not in that way but in the in the overarching growth and healing that's available collectively um cosmically spiritually i think we're where we need to be even though it's confusing and it's my painting has taught me that sitting in front of my canvas in in moments of complete bewilderment and you know with many question marks and and confusion of why did you know why did i do that and oh man i just painted over two weeks of work because i had a feeling and just like keep moving forward sometimes there's huge sacrifices in the painting process and you just have to trust it if it feels right and to know that by being precious about things we're missing out on possibilities um so if it feels right that that like sacrifice or that surrender um it it will bring fruit though it might need to compost for a while and decompose mm. and but that compost will will nourish the seeds of tomorrow and bear fruit and we will be nourished and we will grow and and so it it's it's that journey that cycle that spiral that i i find speaks through my work so much so frequently and yeah especially in those sort of heavier pieces that sometimes i'm you know i'm painting either, and then sometimes they're huge and i'm like why am i painting this like devastating painting so big <laughs> but it feels right and so i do and i just move forward and then it all makes sense you brought up composting and there's another uh friend and and sort of thinker author uh, named sophie strand you might have seen some of her stuff but she really talks about this idea of composting old myths like the need to compost myth in order to have them refruit like mycelial networks, you know, like to refruit now rather than be a kind of static or concretized version of, you know, what they were. And I was thinking of that when I you know, reflect upon the pieces, Mary Magdalene and Jesus that you recently, uh, or some, some ways recently work, began working on as a way of, of composting, you know, these old stories in the sense we're talking about, Western civilization, like these are sort of ground zero of, uh, or the, you know, the Christian um, empire and the influence to this day. I mean, you know, at least large parts of the world say that this is the year, you know, 2022 set to the day that this fellow was born. So it's 
you know, wild to really consider how much of an influence this story has overtaken, even if people don't consider themselves particularly religious. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there's, there's some real mimetic uh, uh, wake that, you know, we're living in. And so I'm curious to hear a little of the journey it was to, I understand you painted Mary first, right? Um, maybe you could speak too about how that came. And then from there, we can, you know, continue the conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've just been hearing for the past multiple years, I've been hearing more and more about this awakening um, spirit or mythos of Mary Magdalene. Um, I learned that in 2016, the Vatican issued a formal apology um, for centuries of demonizing and slandering her and calling her a whore, um, purposefully mixing her up with the prostitute in the Bible who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Um, it was a different person, but the the powers that were um, purposefully made her out to be this sort of unclean woman. And, um, and so it fascinated me that after all these years there would be um, this apology and this uh, sort of forward sight of healing and reconciliation. And she was given a, her very own saint day of <laughs> July 22nd, which wow. is the Feast of Mary Magdalene. Um, and they didn't necessarily go to the extent of, of um, admitting or, or saying that she was much more than a trusted um, apostle, the apostle of the apostles, they said, um, to Jesus or Yeshua. Um, But many traditions, like in Gnosticism, uh, they believe that she was not only the apostle of the apostles and a very trusted um, disciple of Jesus, but that she was the beloved of Jesus. She was the tantric lover she was a high priestess, she was very wealthy, and she actually funded most of his mission. Um, he appeared to her first when he rose um, from the tomb, and that she actually knew his mother, Mary, from the temples, from the school of Isis, um, and that they both walked um, the, the way of the rose or the way of love, is the the high priestesses do did of the temple of isis so it's very interesting when you start to dig into this and there's a lot of literature coming out there's old books surfacing of the gospel of mary magdalene you can actually find now um and it sort of makes sense of so many of those books of the new testament that were missing and that like these holes in the story that doesn't really make sense and you know, even if you want to look at like Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper and and it just like there's so many places that it that it surfaces and and then also the um this legend of the Holy Grail, of the missing Holy Grail. And um a lot of people like uh in the Da Vinci Code in Dan Brown's novel, he he really played with a lot of these themes and a lot of those themes are well researched he's a very researched author he definitely dramatized a lot of it but much of it 
um, actually will lead you into interesting paths of inquiry and, and research. And so the concept that the, the Holy Grail, the chalice that held the blood of Christ, is literally Mary Magdalene. She is, her womb is the chalice, which is a chalice shape that literally held the blood of Christ and took form of a baby. Um, so they say um, in Gnosticism and in, in much, much uh, documentation, there is um, the idea that she, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, uh, that she fled to Egypt and then to south of France. And to this day, there is a strong presence of Mary Magdalene in the south of France. And then her daughter, Sarah, um, there's Saint Sarah, there's sculptures all over France of her, of the south of France. And then that maybe she traveled up into Scotland. Um, some people say she was buried under the Rosalind Chapel in Scotland. Some people say she traveled to the Isle of Mull and then to Iona and finally um, was buried there. There's so much mystery and weaving, but it's fascinating to me. And I actually did a um, pilgrimage around Scotland and just took myself on a beautiful road trip a few years ago and visited a lot of those places. Um, and there's definitely like, it's it's so magical. And I, I feel like it just sort of awakens this like, this mysticism inside me, inside my cells, inside my womb, inside the like, my being and um it in, really inspired me and so it inspired me when i knew that i would come back and i i needed to paint mary magdalene mm. um there was one church in particular in on the isle of mole that was an ancient like old old church hundreds and hundreds of years old just this tiny little chapel um way out in the boonies and in it was a stained glass window of jesus and um and pregnant mary magdalene and so like those kind of things just like fed my curiosity and my the aliveness of this concept. And so I got home and I, I set in to paint that piece. Um, I started it um, at COSM at the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors in upstate New York, Alex and Allison Gray's um, art sanctuary um, on one of my residencies there. And so I it felt like a really potent place to begin that piece sort of in this chapel of newness, this chapel of cosmic art. Um, to have it birthed there. And um, I wanted her holding this whole bouquet of roses because she's often associated with the rose. And then all of a sudden I had this this idea flash into my mind and heart that, oh, Sarah is in those roses. And so I painted the baby sort of embedded in the field of roses into the this bunch and with her little fingers sticking out between petals and and so you almost don't see her at first and it really felt to me it was it's like the playing on the theme of of mary standing in her strength but also protecting her baby and protecting the future protecting the blood of christ and the the enlightenment of that Christ consciousness and the information. And so concealing the baby to a certain extent. And then she has this look on her face. She's looking, um, if you're looking at the painting, she's looking to the left. And there's sort of, there's like a hope and urgency to her gaze. 
Um, the light source is also from that size. So I, it was just sort of this idea. I don't know why I painted it in that direction of her looking to the left instead of looking like forward as we would practice in sort of Western reading. We would, we read to the right, but she's looking to the left. And so there was always this question of, Oh, what is she looking at? People would say, what is she looking at? What's going to be in the painting? And I said, no, it's just, it's just sort of a neutral background of like, dissipated storm clouds and the mandala that has the little chalice and the little egg in it and all the way around. And and then when I got home um, and I finished it and it was coming on Christmas um, and I realized, oh, she's looking at her beloved. And I had this like simultaneous elevation in my body of this like excitement electricity and this like thunk like oh dread of oh no I have to paint Jesus oh it's like so daunting and um so I just sat with that for almost a year and I was raised Christian and um and yeah and just like you say there's just literally a world of stuff that goes with that mm. wow thank you i'm grateful for i mean all that i mean history and and you know story and you know just even to go back to you saying that the vatican issued an apology uh for their treatment of mary Magdalene. i mean that to me was wow i mean that's really unprecedented i mean in 2000 plus years um, the first time that the Vatican's issued that. So that, you know, going back to this theme too of this rise of the feminine and like a shift in, um, or maybe a possibility of a new kind of partnership or integration, that's really significant, right? To 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 see it, I think, from that lens. And then also to hear you went on this pilgrimage, right? So says to, to these different places. And um, in some ways I see, yeah, this courtship, right happening that it wasn't just you know sitting on your couch oh, i'm just gonna go do this but there was some some process by which you in some ways i mean it feels like it like earning the i don't want to call it the right but like earning the or maybe you know sacrifice to me too is this idea uh, i understand is to make sacred right and to to put in the time and the effort and the you know the courtship is a way i think of making that calling in that sacred act of painting in this case you know, a, a vastly significant figure um, in the mythos of certainly Western culture. And so I, I really, it's not surprising to me in, in that sense that it's, that's all included in what it takes to bring forth this image. And I love the um, discovery that you're like, wow, I don't know why I painted, you know, her looking off and then all of a sudden, you know, hitting you. And as if you're, um, you know, unfolding this journey, you know, in steps as well, like, as in you don't, you didn't know that from the outset. But um, by courting, by surrendering, by, you know, being faithful to that process, it's like the next, uh, the next step reveals itself. Yeah. Well, if I was to start a painting of Mary and Yeshua, um, I would, if I had known, I probably would have put them on the same canvas. And I probably would have made them interacting in some way, embracing in some way, and it would have it would have been different. But I think that it's very poignant and important that they're on their own canvas. Because so much of, I think, the wisdom of the template of their relationship is this sovereignty 
they were their own people. They were both powerful, powerful teachers and mystics. And when they came together, they were greater than the sum of their parts. The Gnostics believe that together they created Christ consciousness, that Jesus likely was not able to achieve that on his own. He's just one spectrum of that polarity. And so it's through the union of of those two, of the masculine and feminine, the in-breath, the out-breath, the the ebb and flow that they can together create electricity. Like if you want to think from physics, Mm -hmm. that together they create that electricity that, that awakens the human spirit that awakened their Christ consciousness and enabled them to then ripple that out into the world. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that they were on separate canvases and it's fascinating to me. Like as I work on these pieces, sometimes it's, the aha moments come at the perfect time. And if I'm sitting there like cross-armed, grumbling at a blank canvas or at a painting that's half done and saying, what is it going to be? Like demanding to know what it's going to be. It never comes that way. That's not how inspiration works. Inspiration works when you're in flow. And so work on what you do know. So I work on what I do know. And then it comes. And it comes in that perfect moment. You know, hearing the the sense of sovereignty and the, the really important that the depictions are on two different canvases, yeah, which I agree and I love, is I'm just reminded, I think it was Kelly Brown's quote on, you know, love or partnership or something, but he says, mm-hmm. you know, something like, be like, you know, two trees that have a bit of distance between you, you know, aren't so intertwined that something like no light can get in or, you know, um, something else, an image of, you know, that, that the seas can move between you or something, and mm-hmm. you know, like drink not only from, you know, your the vessel of each other, but be filled by the cup, you know, from others. And yeah, I just feel like there's something in that, that is, is de- modeled. Um, and I like that you said that, you know, they're both achieved mystics, it seems in their own right. Mm-hmm. And that it's in some ways ludicrous, of course, to, to sort of hold up a story that only one polarity, let's say, was able to achieve, you know, all of this. And, you know, I've heard another, one of my other teachers, Stephen Jenkinson, talk about this idea that, you know, to be Christed is something that is done to you. And I, but not so much Christ consciousness in the way that you described it, which I actually think is a like a beautiful depiction of that union, as you say, but more like what religion does after the fact in this, right, in a certain, you know, holier than human. And, and, and of course, what gets done in the name of someone who, you know, would probably be pretty horrified to see some of the things that were done in his name. Uh, but that there's something there... Um, that I like we said electricity, you know, like almost like spiritual juice or or like uh, kind of splitting the atom or something. But from you know clearly the the ripples of which we are still deeply you know in the wake of today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, Jesus was against the church, right? The his whole mission, and it was fascinating to grow up Christian and to grow up in the church. My grandfather was a minister. I sang in the worship team. I, my mom led it and my grandma was in the choir and like we are all very embedded in the church. And even from a young age though, I had this, this skepticism and this curiosity because I would sit there in, in youth group or, you know, in Sunday school and I would hear the words that he was quoted saying, the kingdom of God is within you. And think, 
So he was saying that we don't need the church. Like that was his whole point. His whole thesis was, you are a child of God. You have an intimate, personal, unique relationship to God. And you don't need some translator, some mediator to access divinity. Go within, go within, go within. The kingdom of God is within you. And so I used to like, get in arguments with my parents and with my family of saying, but I don't think he cared. Like, do you think that God judges days of the week and like, okay, so the earth was created in seven days. Do you think God cares what we think a day is? Like, and when I looked at evolutionaryism and, or evolutionism and creationism, to me, they say the same thing. They just use a different scale of it's like a zoomed out version of a map and a zoomed in version of the map. It's they're saying the same thing basically, but the the Bible speaks in days and and evolution speaks in millennia. So I I would think of that and I would think of like all the religions in the world, almost all of them speak to love, compassion, forgiveness. And I would say to my parents, like, don't you think that the child that is raised in Africa or China or India, don't you think that they believe just as strongly that their God is the God? And who are we to say that we're right and they're going to hell? I don't understand that. And I could never understand that. And then the more I intuited and the more I read of Jesus' words, the more I realized that, oh, they're all saying the same thing. And that's really is about that personal relationship. So when I painted the piece of him, I purposefully painted him as a mirror. And I, Mary is looking at him and he, like the sun, is radiating to the viewer. And I painted him life, life-size. So he is, as a mirror, standing in front of you, your eyes the same distance apart as his eyes, gazing at him seeing yourself because I really wanted the viewer to be able to stand in front of that painting and to feel their own divinity, to feel their own connection to God, their own unique birthright of a relationship with the divine, whatever cute name you want to give God, it doesn't matter. I believe to me, I, I wanted to offer a, f- uh, like a furthering of my interpretation of Jesus words. And and that's how it came out. And how, when did you start? And like, what was that process as well? Like, was there a, you know, deep dive into research or any kind of experiential, you know, pilgrimages or, yeah, I'm just curious how you, how you approached perhaps that first moment of putting paint, you know, to canvas. The daunting moment. Where do you start on Jesus's nose? Um, well, I, uh, I was hanging out with some friends. I was uh, just on a little mini tour in BC with um, with Gone Gone Beyond and old friend David Block and Mel, who's in the band, incredible voice, beautiful man, such a kind heart. I, as I was watching him sing one of the nights I was painting and I realized, oh, Jesus, perfect model. So I... I uh, approached him the following day as they were like loading up the van. They were heading back to Seattle and, um, and I was heading home and I said, Hey, Mel, Mel, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, 
how's your relationship with Jesus? And he sort of looked at me like, uh-oh, are you going like, to try to convert me here? And I sort of chuckled and I said, I'd, I'd be honored if you would be my model for this painting that I, I know I need to create. And he was absolutely willing and honored. And, and uh, so I took some photos and then I just kept them and just, you know, just waiting for that moment. And um, uh, as I painted, it just felt, felt like it was time. I, I think it was in the summer. It was leading up to that feast of Mary. Oh, I had just finished Mary. That's what happened. So I just had finished the painting of Mary Magdalene. And um, I wanted to have him begun in the studio while I still had her in the studio. Because I never know when a painting's going to sell. It could go on its journey. It could go to a gallery. And I could like never see that original again. I just trust that they go on, on their on their path. And so I wanted to seize that opportunity. And that was sort of the fire that initiated the starting of that painting. So I started it. And then I set it aside again, because it was just like, whew, it's a, it's a big painting. There's a lot there. And it was bringing up a lot. And I was pondering a lot. Um, I also chose to paint him dark skinned, which was another facet of what was felt really right to me and really poignant and also intimidating um, because of these like hundreds of years of of dogma and whitewashed portrayals of Christ. Um, so I set it aside and uh, almost, a, I think a year went by that he just sat in my studio unfinished. Um, and then it just felt the time came and I said, oh, this is the moment. I'm going to, it was four months away from Christmas. And I said, I'm going to finish this painting by Christmas. And in there, I worked on some other pieces and Christmas got closer and closer and it was far from finished. And so I released the first images of it in process uh, at that time for Christmas and just spoke to, even though, you know, it's disputed whether that was even his birthday, doesn't really matter. I call him J-Dog also, by the way. It's like he's my bud. J-Dog. J-Dog. And and yeah, we had a great time hanging out in the studio, J-Dog and me. And we just, yeah, he just beamed love. And and it was just such a sweetness. And Mary hung out with us a little bit longer too. And then went on a couple little journeys of showing. And um, so I finished him in time for Easter that following year of... um, this last year, actually, so 2021. 2020. Oh, 2021, you finished? Yeah, um, last spring. And uh, it felt like perfect timing. So it was like that, you know, and if we think of Easter and think of the sim- symbolism with Easter of the resurrection of Christ or of Christ consciousness, the reawakening, the reinvigoration, it was that was the moment that he was brought back to life, maybe in, in my immediate surroundings in my heart in my in my experience and then also was able to share it with the world and whether he actually existed or not to me is not that interesting i don't really get hung up on history history is so changeable anyways so i don't think that that's the important thing because a a well-told story can have just as much impact as a lived story really we can learn just as much from 
a mythological template as we can from our own experience. So whether he existed or not, it doesn't matter to me. But what he represents and what the the spirit that he that he embodies and what he he emulates in our own bodies and in our own lives and in the world and in the awakening of the world and in the cosmos and however far out you want to go in that macrocosm, that to me is the important part. And that to me is what's interesting. And that to me is what I feel is coming back into balance now after the swinging of the pendulum of the masculine and feminine, the patriarchy, and then the healing of the feminine. And now it's the, the reclaiming of the sacred masculine and the stepping back into right relationship within ourselves between those two aspects and with each other between all aspects. Beautiful. What do you, or what, what was the impact upon the release? Um, like, uh, did you have a, yeah, kind of like a big I don't know, Instagram showing or like, yeah, you said a little tour before then, but yeah. What was it like to, to have them completed in the world and what was the impact or the echo for, when you released them? Um, well, I braced myself. <laughs> and yeah, I um, I released it on Instagram. I think I actually released, I released it to my Patreon first, um, as I always do, uh, the sneak peek. And, um, and then released it a few days later on Instagram and braced for impact of, uh, I imagined I would get a whole mix of reactions um, for multiple reasons. One is that, you know, that I was painting him in this sort of, uh, person, personally empowering theme, dark skinned and in relation to Mary Magdalene. So I, I imagine that there might be, you know, various reactions because of our conditioning, because of, you know, everything that's wrapped up, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the hope, all of the redemption. Um, and it was amazing to see the reaction of, of people, of so many echoes of people saying that this is exactly how they were raised and the feelings that they had as well being within the church and, and really like hearing the words and hearing, hearing the heart of his message through the dogma of the church and through the, the business of that establishment. And so it felt really validating to a lot of people. Um, also, it felt really um, empowering to people's own personal journey of healing their own masculine or healing the masculine in their lives, their relationship to it. Um, there was a few comments here and there. There's always a few of uh, questioning of like really feeling challenged of uh, like, what are you saying that that Jesus wasn't a virgin? And that's blasphemy. And how dare you? And like some of those um reactions but very minimal it's funny though with, with your comments i'm sure you experience this as a creative yourself and everything that you release into the world is so vulnerable and you, know, you can get like 900 positive comments you get two <laughs> negative comments like brief negative comments and that's what you chew on you're like ooh, I gotta do, I gotta till them and like it's so funny like those are what fuel us i think to like Okay, how can I be even more impeccable with my word? And then how can I also not be afraid of that? Because I knew that there was an inherent risk of, of attack for the words that I shared along, along with the piece, the color of skin I chose, and for, for the painting itself. 
you know, a lot of religions teach to not even paint the divine, don't even portray the divine. So even that act could be challenging to some people. And so to be okay with that, to really trust that people are, everybody's on their own journey. And those reactions, they're going to come and they'll just come and go. And the people, everybody will get what they need from the piece. And whether that's nothing, whether that's scrolling on by, whether that's challenging and just like embedding that little bit of a question into the like rigid, oppressive dogma that they've been living and maybe feeling unconsciously stifled by their whole life, or whether it's like a complete aha, epiphany, liberation, celebration, like that kind of moment. It doesn't, that's not my responsibility, people's reactions. My responsibility is paint it, share it with the world, let go. And that's all I can do. You mentioned you crafted some words to go along with the release and, and we thought about reading it actually. Maybe this would be a good time for you to, to read what you had crafted alongside your pieces. Sure. So the pieces, Mary Magdalene is called the Holy Grail. Um, the painting of Jesus or Yeshua is called Divine Humanity. So these two paintings were made for each other. And with deep bows and profound exhale, I present them together from my heart to yours. Mary Magdalene was said to be the beloved of Yeshua, and he was hers. Together they amplified and shared the message of love. The Gnostics teach that when unified through tantric marriage, they achieved Christ consciousness and sought to liberate and inspire humanity towards a heart-centered and holy life. She was the feminine embodiment of presence, pleasure, and purity, he, the masculine embodiment of compassion, forgiveness, focus, and wisdom. The sacrament of the Holy Grail and the sacred blood of Christ, the yin and the yang, the in-breath and the out-breath, the sun and the moon, both aspects equal and complementary, sovereign yet interdependent. Through these transformational times, we are beginning to come back into balance with our masculine and feminine within. We are remembering a way of living in alignment with nature, reawakening our intuition and returning to the heart. We are coming back into right relationship with ourselves, each other, with the earth and all beings. Whatever truth you hold of what Yeshua or Mary Magdalene represent or the life you have been taught that they each lived or didn't live, I hope that you can you can receive this perspective as a mirror to your own divinity and humanity. We need not get caught up in semantics, derailed by speculations that can never be proven or disproven, or deterred by the past experiences of religion or dogma that still smuggles itself behind our trauma. These paintings are simply a metaphor, a facet of the possible truth inspired by my intuition and my, my, my perception. They are an offering to the world with the prayer that they may support our collective healing, the journey to help bring us closer to the kingdom of God that is within each of us. Mm. Powerful. I'm struck by that you use the word metaphor, and my understanding is that it means to, to carry a cross, and that there's something that you've invoked with these pieces that, you know, in a time of you know, deep, deep calamity and deep possibility that the reemergence of these mythic 
figures, these mythic models contribute to, I almost see a kind of vessel, right? To carry across the uncertainty of these times. And again, I'm struck by the, the power of visionary art in this case to, to invoke or to call forth, you know, the highest effort or the highest participation uh, in service to the more beautiful, thriving world that I believe is possible. And, and perhaps, again, it, it takes the capacity to tune in and to, to be in relationship, um, to continually hear that, that song. Yeah, we're each called to action in different ways. I think what we're coming to realize now is the perfection in our imperfection, the the worthiness in our uniqueness. And that that understanding that we are that we're enough will only awaken further our motivation for action. Because not everybody is inspired to march in the streets or to run for city council or to have a family or to grow a garden or to write books or to read books or to, you know, all the different ways that we think, oh, if I should do that, because that's what's most important at this, this enormous precipice of change in in human in human history like we're at this like threshold and what can i do that's going to be the most important thing that i can do and so we look to others we look to to collectives and we look to action and we look to um just the ideals that that society is gives us of what that would look like but we're all unique puzzle pieces I like to think of it as like a tapestry that we weave together. So we're individual threads in this tapestry. We're sovereign. We're our own thread, but we're also supported by the whole, by the whole web that we're weaving together. And every time we meet, every time we form a connection, that ties a little knot and that makes that overall web stronger. And so what is it that your thread is bringing to that entire web and maybe it's one of those things and that's perfect. And so I've, I've sort of sat with that question a lot of like, okay, here I am sitting in my privilege, in my beautiful studio, with my health, with my youth, with my, you know, cup of tea and my, you know, comfy chair and my nice paintbrushes and thinking like, surely, like, should I be out like, marching in the streets and demonstrating should i be you know having babies and and like raising the next generation and trying to you know push them in the direction i I think they should be going in to help the forward momentum of you know the healing of humanity should i be volunteering at the soup kitchens like is there something more important that i should be doing and when i sit with that question and i think it's good to keep that question alive because sometimes there's little detours that we can make that's only going to add to the overall um, potency of our of our offering. But when I sit with that message, I find I'm exactly where I need to be. And my my mission always, since my oldest me- memories as a child, where I'm here to make art, 
and I'm going to share that art with a lot of people. And I didn't know what that would look like. And I didn't know how it would, you know, how it would unfold, but I trusted it and I still trust it. I never knew that like, I will, when I grow up, I'm going to be an artist. That was not a concept to me. I was already here doing what I needed to be doing. And so I trust that I'm here doing what I need to be doing. And if that's making pretty pictures during this transformative period to help act as signposts and maps for people that witness it, to help them awaken their own curiosity, their own empowerment, their own inspiration and creativity and self-love and shared love and connection with nature, then that's enough. And I don't need to understand what that looks like for anyone else. I just keep on going. And every sticker I make or greeting card that I make with these paintings that have hundreds of hours of work in them, you know, every little post that I make, I just trust that that image will reach who it needs to reach. I think of those greeting cards being filled with love notes to loved ones and being sent all over the world. And I have no idea the journey. This painting is never finished because it fractals off into many, many like infinite forms, digital and printed and the original itself. And every set of eyes and heart that stands in front of that painting continues the story of that painting. And it, it embeds into that person and the person embeds into the painting. And it's an exchange that only continues to unfold. Well, like one of the many stickers that you've passed out, you're doing great. <laughs> it's the best sticker. <laughs> um, yep. As we wind down our conversation, and I'm feeling very grateful, I wonder where the originals are. I mean, are they here in your possession still? Or have they already been purchased? I'm just curious. Yeah, where do you know where they've ended up? If they've been, if they've ended up somewhere else? Um, yeah, the as I finished the Yeshua painting, a friend and collector from Hawaii reached out and said, "I would like to buy that painting when it's finished." I don't care when it's done. I would like it. And he, you know, I knew that he would honor it and and build beautiful frame for it. And and he said, just out of curiosity, do you know who owns Mary? And uh, I said, oh, actually, I still have it. It's actually hanging in my home at the time. And, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of venues closed and obviously festivals weren't ha- happening. So I had more pieces um, on hand personally. And I said, yeah, she's here in my home. And I said, I, I would love for them to be together, you know, after centuries of them being separated, I'd love for them to live together. Um, but, you know, whatever, whatever feels right to you. And he said, they absolutely should live together. And I would like them both. And so they both live on the big island. And, uh, you know, on that like young land, that alive terra of like, electric creation yeah it's uh it feels very appropriate that they are there and it's nice that they're together that's the greatest love story (laughs) well i yeah feel deeply appreciative for our time autumn sky um you know i'll i'll show notes i'll have the links to you know people can find your work and order prints and the rest and um yeah i'd just love to ask any final 
love letter to the listener that you'd like to offer? Thank you. Um, well, as you quoted from my favorite sticker, you're doing great, Ian. Thank you for all you do. And to everyone who's listening, I just really, I offer my appreciation, my acknowledgement, and my trust that you are doing what you need to be doing as the unique facet of the divine that you are to usher forward this healing and revolution and growth and awakening of humanity and of the world. So I thank you. And if that's curling up on the couch with your cat, that's perfect too. This like the idea of self-compassion, of shared compassion, of trusting that everybody's doing the best they can with the tools they have and centuries of strange and bewildering and heartbreaking circumstances have shortchanged a lot of people in their tools. And so as we all gather the tools we need of growth and of healing, that we trust in that journey and that we keep putting those tools to good work as we learn to use them and and that we are on a beautiful journey and a intense, powerful, terrifying at times journey up this mountain. And yeah, it's, it's an honor to walk alongside you. And here we go. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mythic Masculine Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please visit any of the major podcast platforms and leave a review. This helps spread the word and reach a wider audience. Also, if you'd like to join me for future live episodes, head to themythicmasculine.com and click Become a Supporter. You'll get access to behind-the-scenes updates, bonus episodes, and the ability to join live conversations before they're released to the wider public. I don't accept advertising and rely on listeners like you to fund the show. Thanks for the consideration. Until next time.